welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host, Kevin Paneskis. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Service Accommodation Property Podcast. And in this episode, we have got Arthur Kemp, who is a capital allowance surveyor, who is going to be giving us his presentation. We've got a live audience. So for those of you listening to the podcast, you're not going to be able to see the slides, but you're certainly going to be able to get an awful lot of information from Arthur's presentation. So can I get a very warm round of applause for Arthur Kemp? Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Morning. How are we excited to be here today? Yes. Ready for three hours of tax? Yeah. <laughs> ah, I'm only joking, of course. I'll talk to you for about 45 minutes on this subject, uh, which is really quite valuable. Um, I first found out about capital allowances when I was working for IKEA. I used to be their UK accounting manager, and uh, while I was in London, part of my responsibility was to talk with our tax office and actually find out ways to save tax. And one of the things that they suggested was that we look at these things called capital allowances. And surprisingly, our auditors hadn't picked up the fact that IKEA had £2 billion worth of commercial property that they should be claiming capital allowances on. So we went through this whole uh, tender process to get a uh, supplier in to actually do this work. And I thought to myself during that whole process, this is such a great opportunity. If big companies are missing out on this valuable tax relief, then lots of smaller investors are certainly missing out as well. So off the back of that, and several years later, I started my own business purely dealing with capital allowances for all property investors. And so uh, this is all we do. We don't do any uh, any tax work. We don't do any tax returns or compliance work. All we do is this quite wonderful thing called capital allowances. And capital allowances, I think, is quite amazing. It has the ability to do a number of different things. It helps you to not pay any tax. And who here doesn't want to pay any tax? Of course you don't. Nobody wants to pay tax. But by knowing about capital allowances, you can actually implement them into your property strategy to help you not pay tax. That's got to be a good thing. And also, because capital allowances has an intrinsic cash value, then it helps you to increase the return on your investment. Knowing that if you're investing in a property, you could actually get some money back, save tax, or get a rebate of tax, to a certain cash value, then of course you can factor that into your cash flow forecasting and also uh, the actual net cost of your investment in that project. And so it can be quite uh, quite valuable. Also, rather than paying the tax man uh, any tax, it helps you keep hold of more of your hard-earned money. So if you're making profits, which you know you all want to be making profits, rather than paying tax on that profits to the tax man, you can use the allowances to reduce your taxable profits uh, to not pay any tax. That's uh, three of the, uh, the great things to do with capital allowances. But one of the things as well, it's all about knowledge, right? What I'm doing today is uh, providing you with a whole host of knowledge regarding tax relief on property investments. And I've got a few examples, but it means that you're going to be smarter investors. You guys are in competition with a whole host of people out there 
in the real world, all looking for different deals, looking for different properties, looking for maximizing your returns. And by knowing about capital allowances, you guys are going to be smarter investors than the people who you're in competition with. You might look at a particular site and go, I'm not going to deal with that because there's, you know, there's not much of a return on it. But if you were to factor in the capital allowances value, all of a sudden, projects which may be, uh, may be not that attractive can actually seem uh, quite, quite attractive in that respect. And it'll help you to look at deals in, the, in a new way as well uh, through this. Now, don't take my word for it. Capital allowances has been around for 141 years now in one form or another. So it's not some sort of newfangled tax relief that the uh, Manchester United footballers might be interested in. It's a genuine, legitimate tax relief. And this is what the revenue say. The revenue say, when you invest in your properties, in your business, you can claim capital allowances on the assets that you buy. Typically, these things are called plant and machinery. And it's different from the most, what most people think of plant and machinery being diggers and tractors and silos and all these things. Uh, plant and machinery is effectively all of the second fix items that you get in a property. Anything that makes the property work, anything that's not part of the structure that you can actually claim. And I've got some examples a bit later on so you can see those. What you can do is you can claim the value of this plant and machinery as a tax deduction uh, before you pay any tax. And very often people buy a property and they claim the capital allowances on the property and it means they actually have a tax loss to roll forward against future year's profits. So it might mean by claiming capital allowances on a property, you've got three or four or five years worth of profits that you can get before you start paying any tax. Factor that into your cash flow and that can make a massive difference. So when can you claim capital allowances? Every time you spend money on a property is when you can claim capital allowances. So normally you transact a property by you buying it. Yeah, you buy a second-hand property. When you buy a property, you don't just buy the foundations, uh, you buy this plant and machinery as well. You buy all the second fix items as part of the purchase. And it's that valuation of those second fix items that you can claim as part of the purchase price. Or what most a lot of people do is, and where lots of the value might be, is if you're developing a property. Quite a few of our clients recently are buying, no surprise, uh, office blocks and then converting them into serviced accommodation. And what they tend to do is they tend to spend more on the development works than they do actually buying the office in the first place. It might have been an empty office that uh, nobody wanted for, for 10 or 15 years or so, which they get fairly cheap. Not huge amounts of capital allowances would be available on the purchase, but because you're spending a large amount developing the property into serviced accommodation, you're putting more plant and machinery in the property, and that's what you can claim on as well. It helps some people to think about it as perhaps the tax depreciation. Because you guys are all smart. You all know what a profit and loss account is, right? And you know a profit and loss account has your income and it has all your gross margin items, a gross profit, and you have all your business expenses. And one line on there is depreciation of your assets, right? And then you have your net profit and that's where it goes. That's perfectly fine. However, when your accountant comes to do your tax return, he has to ignore that depreciation line. Depreciation is not a tax-deductible business expense. Instead, the revenue allow you to claim these things called capital allowances, but you don't get them automatically. You don't get them at 10% uh, writing down allowance of your uh, purchase cost. They have to be identified and claimed separately. So that's quite, quite an interesting thing to learn. So perhaps think about capital allowances as tax depreciation instead.
uh, it's a different way to think about it. Now, whoever owns the property is the one that's able to claim the capital allowances. So very often in the past, it used to be property owned by individuals or couples or partners. Uh, those individuals could claim their share of the capital allowances. Uh, but these days, more common, certainly with the interest rate uh, relief limitations, is setting up limited companies. So limited companies, if the limited company owns the property, it's the limited company that will claim the capital allowances and that will get a deduction against profits and against corporation tax as well. Um, one good thing about capital allowances, although there's, there's obviously several good things, but one of the best things about capital allowances is that you can use them, ready for this, against any other taxable income that you have. And that's really quite powerful because lots of people I know have jobs. You know, jobs where you have to work and you pay tax through PAYE, but they're also starting off on their property journey. And so they might be investing in properties that qualify for capital allowances. Well, that's a perfect scenario because you can take the capital allowances from your property investments and because you own them personally, you can offset the allowances against the income that you get from your job. So you can get back all of the tax that you've paid through PAYE through the year. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? Let's all do that. And that's perfectly legitimate, something called sideways loss relief. Um, Google that, it's uh, really exciting. But you can, uh, you can claim capital allowances on that. Bit of Harry Hill there for you. Um, and sideways loss relief, SLR, sideways loss relief. Um, but also, as well as limited companies, LLPs are really popular these days. Each member of the LLP is entitled to their share of the uh, allowances as well uh, on there. So just be aware, if you're having the property, or rather, when you're planning your property investment, look at which structure is going to work best for you and speak with your accountant because much as this might be the best way from a capital allowances point of view, there might be different things to consider in terms of financing, other incomes that you've got as well. But uh, this is all about what works for a capital allowances. If you have it in a SIP, uh, you can't claim capital allowances or a SAS, which are popular now. Um, you can't claim capital allowances because they don't pay income tax, of course. Uh, so there you go. Um, the legislation is the Capital Allowances Act 2001. I'll grant you, it's not the most riveting read in the world, but it is the governing legislation if you have any queries on there. So in terms of uh, capital allowances, it can apply to a whole host of different people. One, if you're structuring your business now, think about capital allowances and how it's going to benefit your business in the future. How you can structure certain property deals, factor in the uh, cash flow advantages, and also uh, knowing about capital allowances, you might be able to get better prices uh, for your property. If you own serviced accommodation already, no problem. There's no real time restriction on how long you've had a property for before you can make a claim. So if you've been operating holiday lets or serviced accommodation for five or 10 years, that's fine. You still qualify for capital allowances. You can still get those retrospectively. One of the good things about um, our tax return system at the moment is that you can actually go back to previous tax years to make adjustments to include things like capital allowances as well. So uh, I'm sure, like me, all of you people who have filed the 1718 tax return on the, what, 31st of January, I bet it was, wasn't it? Yeah, just like me. That tax return, even though you've submitted that, you can still go back to that tax year until the 31st of January 2020 to make adjustments. So if you had a property in that year which might attract capital allowances, you can go back resubmit your tax return and get a potential rebate uh, for that year as well. So that's quite useful to know. Um, one thing I will say, which is relevant to the third point, is 
you can only claim capital allowances on properties that you keep hold for long-term rental income. If you're a developer and you're flipping properties for a quick sale, it's transacted and accounted for in a very different way. So if you're a developer, you are only taxed on the income that you make from extra, the extra selling price of that property. Whereas capital allowances relate, unsurprisingly, to capital assets that you keep hold of. If it's a fixed asset for long-term rental income, then capital allowances apply. However, even if you are a developer, if you know about capital allowances, you can use that by to sell the property onto the person who's investing. If you impart that capital allowances knowledge onto an investor, then you're potentially giving them something extra, reducing the net cost of their investment against some of the people you're in competition with. So if there's two developers and one of them knows about capital allowances and they say to their interested parties who are interested in investing, you can buy my property, but you can reduce the net value of your investment by 10% because you can claim capital allowances on it. It's a serviced accommodation block. Uh, here's the values associated with it. You get the capital allowances. I can't claim them because I'm an investor, I'm a developer, but you can claim them. Think about that when you're investing. And all of a sudden, the property that you're selling, still for the same price, reduces uh, their net investment on there as well. So knowing about capital allowances is still quite important, even if you might not be able to benefit from them directly. Which kind of leads me on to the uh, second point. I don't know if anybody here is doing rent to rent. Quite popular. For those that uh, don't know, you take a property off a landlord's hands for a fixed price, generally more than they can get for renting it out to a private uh, individual. Um, but then you have the deal where you can actually operate that property as serviced accommodation with a view of generating more income than you're spending on renting it out from the landlord. You don't have to put any money down, maybe spruce it up a bit for uh, renting it out as serviced accommodation. You know, it's a very good uh, strategy and lots of people can make money. How good would it be if you could go to a landlord you're talking to and say, right, I'm going to rent your property off you, but I'm going to trade it as serviced accommodation. That means your property qualifies for capital allowances. Now, I can't claim it because I don't own the property, but you can claim the capital allowances. So how would you like it if I paid you your rent and you didn't have to pay any income tax on that? That's going to be quite powerful, couldn't it? Looking at it in a slightly different way to say, well, okay, this property that you perhaps don't own now qualifies for tax relief. You can then utilise that knowledge to go to that landlord. And are they more likely to do a deal with you than somebody else they're talking to, perhaps? Yeah, maybe they are. Just because you're sharing this knowledge with them. Uh, so looking at deals in different ways also helps. And again, if you're building a portfolio, capital allowances is one of the great ways to keep hold of the money in your portfolio. Uh, and again, because it has a cash value, then uh, you can help uh, maximise your returns. So there's a few things around um, capital allowances you should be aware of. Now, this is one of the big points that comes up very often. What's the difference between serviced accommodation and furnished holiday lets? Good question. I know somebody was going to ask. Now, from a capital allowances point of view, it's quite straightforward. From a planning point of view, there might be different issues, uh, certainly around the country. But from capital allowances, it's quite clear. Furnished holiday lets have a very specific set of rules around capital allowances. And if you're, if you're operating a furnished holiday let, there's a few basic things. One, it's a furnished holiday property. You have to let it out for at least 105 days a year, and it has to be available for at least 210 days a year, which is easy because everyone does it online. It's available all the time. So if you only let it out, don't provide any services, 
than it is a furnished holiday let. You can still claim capital allowances on it. The only difference is it's ring fenced. So if you have a furnished holiday let business and you have capital allowances, you can't use them against other income that you've got. You can only use it against your holiday let business. So hopefully that's quite straightforward. Everything else that you operate, as long as you're providing services, uh, and it might be concierge services, uh, it might be food, linen, whatever it might be, as long as you're providing those services, then at least if you trade for at least one day in a given tax year, then you can claim capital allowances as serviced accommodation. Generally, obviously you'll, you'll operate them as professionals, workers that come into the particular area, and holidaymakers as well. But from a capital allowances point of view, uh, it's pretty straightforward on there as well. So at least one day in a tax year. Now, some people say to me, okay, at least one day in a tax year, what if I was to have a serviced accommodation unit from maybe the 4th of April to the 6th of April? So I'll operate this serviced accommodation unit for two days, but it's in different tax years. So I can claim all the capital allowances for those uh, two tax years by operating a business for two days. That's a good idea. And um, legitimate, well, in, in the words of the law, yes, you could do that. However, uh, the revenue would look at that and say, the whole reason why you're operating that particular property is to claim capital allowances to avoid tax, and they wouldn't necessarily approve uh, you making a tax relief for that. As long as it is a genuine business, um, then you can operate that. So capital allowances, so just, just a few things. Uh, I've mentioned this before, so I'll sort of go over it again. You can claim capital allowances when you buy properties. You don't get, found, you don't get tax relief on the foundations or the roof or the flooring, or rather you didn't until uh, October last year. But everything we're talking about today is to do with plant and machinery. And it's all these second fix items. Interestingly, and you may have heard, there's a new tax relief that was bought in in October called the Structures and Buildings Allowance. Very, very good. It now means, get this, it now means that about 80% of the cost of your property you can claim as a tax deduction, as capital allowances. Isn't that amazing? 80% of what you spend as a tax deduction. You don't unfortunately get it all at once, but the new structures and building allowance was introduced at a rate of 2% per year for the cost of the structure and buildings for commercial properties. Now, at the moment, we're not sure if it applies to serviced accommodation or not, only because it's out for consultation at the moment. So the Chancellor announced in the budget in October, uh, this is what he wants to introduce to bring us in line with a whole host of different countries. So you can get uh, tax relief on the structure of your property at 2% a year, so spread over 50 years effectively. Whereas the plant and machinery element of it, you get it all at once. But nevertheless, if you're keeping a property for long-term investment, you'll still get the full value of that over a number of years. And if you want details on there, just uh, drop me or Kevin an email, and I'm more than happy to, to share the slides with you. So plant and machinery. Now, plant and machinery, these are all things that you've seen before, just to kind of highlight typically what we're looking for when we go to a site survey. We're looking for the, the water supplies, water tanks, heater control systems, consumer units, emergency lighting, signage, emergency, well, opening, open doors, air conditioning, uh, bathrooms, uh, baths, sinks, showers, uh, fire control systems, kitchens, radiators, extractor fans, a whole host of these things, all the second fix items that make the building work, that's what you can claim capital allowances on. Now, this is also, uh, you should perhaps talk about this in some detail. 
Which properties qualify? Well, all commercial properties. The legislation itself says you cannot claim capital allowances on dwelling houses, right? Unfortunately, there's no definition of what a dwelling house is, which is a bit of a difficulty, especially when it comes to HMOs, but that's, that's another story. Um, so in essence, if you buy a commercial property, any commercial property, then you can claim capital allowances. They qualify. If it's a mixed-use property, generally a retail unit with flats above, that qualifies. Uh, although if the flats are someone's private dwelling, they don't qualify. If the flats are holiday lets, serviced accommodation, the whole thing qualifies. Um, if you buy residential, that will still qualify if you then convert it into a holiday let or serviced accommodation. In fact, quite a few people who we do work with buy people's houses on the south coast and then get planning permission to turn them into holiday lets. Perfect example, because I think as I mentioned previously, or if I haven't, I'll mention it now, you can only claim capital allowances once in a property's lifetime. So if you're buying a private house, then nobody could claim capital allowances on it before because it's a dwelling. So you automatically get all of those allowances, especially if you're then going to convert it into serviced accommodation uh, or holiday lets, you can get those conversion costs as well. And I've got some examples on there. Uh, if you're buying a block of flats, then the flats themselves might be private dwelling areas, but the actual communal areas, the lifts, the storage, parking, etc., all those qualify as well. Uh, HMOs are a bit of a, uh, a question mark, mainly because there's been no case law set as far as a precedent in, uh, in that. Uh, the, the legislation doesn't say you can't claim, but the revenue say they're not happy to accept it, and perhaps people would like to take them to court to determine whether or not uh, HMOs qualify. I'll leave it as a question mark for now. Single buy-to-let properties are by definition a dwelling house, people's uh, main residence, and you can't claim for those. Just to give you an idea of the sort of numbers we're talking about, we roughly associate the purchase of a property as being this. 35% of the purchase price will be the land value of the property, uh, which you can't claim any tax relief on, or at least not, not yet. I'll come on to something a bit later. The non-qualifying items, the structure of the property, uh, is about 45% of the value of your investment. You can now get a, a tax relief on that. But the plant and machinery element, as a rule of thumb, if you're looking for a property, just assume that 20% of the purchase price will be the capital allowances you can get straight away in day one. So as a rule of thumb, I'm sure some of you are looking at particular deals and investments at the moment. If you have a, an office block, which is a million pounds, then just think, right, there's 200,000 pounds worth of tax relief already in this property uh, on there as well. So just to give you an idea. So I've got a few examples for you here. This is, um, this is some offices in Northampton. Northampton, great night out, highly recommend it. Uh, jolly good fun. These were some offices in Northampton. Uh, my client, they were solicitor's offices, actually. They weren't advised uh, very well on capital allowances. And so my client bought them. And because the solicitors hadn't claimed any allowances, he was able to claim them all. And he then converted them into serviced accommodation flats right in the middle of Northampton. Um, he spent overall £465,000 uh, buying and then developing the property as well. The plant and machinery value, which was broken down into two different parts, one, a smaller amount when he bought the property and the majority of it when he developed it, was about £175,000. Now, he's a private individual, so he saved tax of over £52,000, not all in one year, but over about three years. But he was nevertheless, he was quite happy about that. And uh, that meant that his investment reduced 
by 11.2%, his net investment in this particular project, purely because of the capital allowances element. So 465 money all in, um, and he got back £52,000 through sa tax savings through his job, actually. So that meant that, uh, yeah, if you're looking at this deal thinking, okay, £465,000 is quite a lot, maybe I'm not interested. If you could drop the net investment by £50,000, it could make it uh, more attractive. And the irony of this is, he didn't even know about capital allowances before he found this deal. And he was halfway through doing the development works when, uh, when we spoke. So he'd already found the property, he'd already worked out what rental yields he could get, he knew it was going to be a good deal, and he still went ahead with it, obviously. So the capital allowances element was uh, an extra bonus to him, if you like. And this is, a, this is a fantastic property. I was down here a few weeks ago, actually. This is a, uh, a furnished holiday let, a genuine holiday let down in Cornwall, as far as you can go. It's, it's amazing. You go all the way down to uh, St. Michael's Mount, turn left, and it's, it's just there. Um, and it's a great place. My client here bought it for 1.4 million direct from the developer. So that meant the property didn't exist before, so nobody could claim any capital allowances on it. The developer, by definition, buys plots of lands, builds properties and sells them, not their fixed assets, so they couldn't claim any allowances. So it's a new building. So they could claim over £400,000 in plant and machinery, including the hot tub and the sauna uh, and all the, all the other items on there, all the underfloor heating they've got, uh, solar panels and the like. £413,000 worth of plant and machinery on that property. And it's owned by a couple, and they will save about £165,000. And again, that's reducing their net investment by nearly 12% on there as well. So just factoring in the capital allowances value into your investment can have a, uh, a massive impact. The other side of the uh, coin is our workshop, which if you've ever had a night out in workshop, uh, you're a braver man than I am. Um, it's, uh, it's quite an interesting place, workshop, quite industrial around there. And this, this unit is a really good unit. It was a block of six flats, which were bought and then converted all for £215,000 into serviced accommodation units. So he bought it and converted it for just over two hundred grand, And it's just outside the town centre. The works haven't quite finished yet, but there'll be about £55,000 worth of plant and machinery in there. Uh, and it's owned by an LLP, and the members will be entitled to their share of the £22,000 worth of plant and machinery. But look at that. They probably didn't even put £20,000 into the whole deal uh, to get it. So they're mostly going to pull all their money out by utilising capital allowances. And again, that reduces their net investment by 10% uh, on there as well. And so it can have a massive impact and you can also utilise it as another way to get money out of a particular deal, certainly if you're a taxpayer. Now, this is a property up in Lincoln. Now, what I should share with you is that certain sectors of society are pretty clued up when it comes to capital allowances. So if you come across uh, generally a pub, a care home or a hotel, they tend to be fairly well advised for capital allowances. So don't necessarily expect to pick up a cheap pub and then to get the capital allowances on the purchase because there'll be all sorts of clauses in the contract. And why is that? Well, if you take the big um, pub chains, what do they do? They sell beer and they own lots of property, don't they? So what they do is, the same as IKEA did, uh, they own lots of property and sold lots of furniture, but you could use the capital allowances from the property side of the business to offset the profits they make from selling furniture or beer or coffee or McDonald's or whatever it might be. So that's the way that capital allowances work. So in this case, my client bought a hotel. There was no allowances available on the purchase because the hotel had claimed them all and they put the right clauses in the contract. However, 
they are entitled to claim on the development works because it's new money, new assets, uh, and they could do that. So they spent um, £270,000 converting this hotel into serviced accommodation units, which was pretty straightforward because a hotel is laid out pretty much how you want service accommodation to, to be laid out, isn't it? So they just had to refurbish the rooms uh, and do a bit more. But um, of the £270,000, almost half, in fact, just over half, was new plant and machinery that went into the property. And that was because they didn't mess around with the structure. They didn't develop it, extend it too much. It was just new plant and machinery going in. And the limited company saved, yeah, about 10% on their uh, net investment there as well. So again, factoring in capital allowances is good. Uh, yeah, so this just uh, explains how uh, tax depreciation is. This is examples of different types of plant and machinery. As I said, there's been 140 years of case law which determines what plant and machinery is. Everything from fire alarm systems to gas sewage systems, hoists, cookers, a whole host of things, cold stores... Uh, number 23, dry docks. Anyone got a dry dock in their portfolio? If you have, your quid's in because you can claim capital allowances on it. Uh, or fixed zoo cage, anyone? No? What you get up to in your own time is entirely up to you. But uh, if you have a zoo, then you've got a fixed zoo cage, you can claim that. And I kid you not, legislation actually says that sheepdogs are items of plant and machinery. So if you have a working sheepdog, not the sheep, that would be ridiculous, but the sheep, the actual sheepdog, is an item of plant and machinery uh, that you can claim on. So what some people do is they, they target certain types of properties because they know they can yield really good capital allowances. So if you're buying a, a warehouse, for example, you know that it's mostly air, right? There's a few bits of lighting, maybe a toilet block and some offices, but there's not a lot in some warehousing. But if you're targeting, say, uh, hotels, B&Bs, or ex-medical dental surgeries, they tend to have a lot of plant and machinery. So if you have the choice between a number of different properties, one of the things that you should consider is what sort of yield will I get on the capital allowances? Uh, so again, these are just a, an, an idea on this. But by far the biggest proportion of what you can uh, claim is on the development works, especially if, as per the previous example, you're not actually messing around with the structure of the property, uh, you, can, uh, you can do that. So just a couple more examples. This is um, a limited company bought this property down in Southampton uh, and they're converting it into uh, some flats which they then sold off to help finance it and um, four serviced accommodation units and a commercial on the ground floor as well. Their overall investment was 675,000. Um, the plant and machinery value will be about 190,000 on there or to put it in tax savings, it'll reduce their net investment by about five and a half percent. So again, this is uh, another one there. Also, this is in Portsmouth. This is an office building. Uh, it's really, again, lends itself quite neatly to serviced accommodation uh, for 26 serviced accommodation units. The overall works are going to be about 1.2 million, probably a bit more, because I think they're going to have planning permission to go up a level as well. We expect there to be around £400,000 worth of plant and machinery, and it's going to save this limited company about £78,000. Or think about it another way. This is a limited company set up specifically for this serviced accommodation deal. This company is going to have £400,000 of tax losses before it starts trading effectively. So that means it's going to have, let's say, three years worth of tax-free profits it can make to offset against its capital allowances before it starts paying any tax. So how good would that be to factor into your cash flow? I haven't got any tax to pay for three or four years because I've got these capital allowances. The losses will be reduced by the profits you're making each year until they're used up. 
And again, that 400,000 is rolled forward to future years uh, on there as well. And so they factored in here, this, the return on their investment has gone up by 6% on there as well. They'd already gone ahead with it because it was good numbers. Uh, this is a smaller one in Cambridge where we're based just outside. Um, this is um, so expensive property in Cambridge, it's unbelievable, but great yields because it's a really good touristy place. Uh, you can get some good rental income. So this, is a, this property was bought, it's probably about two miles from the town centre, bought and developed for £450,000 in Cambridge. Plant and machinery value is about 103000 uh, and the owner's going to save about £46,000. I think when it came down to it, it was, it was less than two years worth of profits that she'll make uh, on this property before she'll pay any tax. But that's because you get such great yields in, uh, in Cambridge. And this is one in Hemel Hempstead. Again, this is quite a, a, quite a nice sized project, three million pounds, three and a half million pounds. There's, again, two stages to this, one when they bought the property and one when they developed it. £730,000 worth of allowances, saving about £146,000 for that limited company. Uh, and this is a, one of the scariest places I've ever been. This old hotel, it looks scary as well, doesn't it? Um, this old hotel in um, Bulkington, which is uh, Coventry Way, I think, if I remember correctly. Uh, the ladies owned it for about 60 years. And I said, have you got all your old paperwork? And she pulled out this great big box, great big dusty, they opened it dust everywhere. And she had every single invoice for the building works about the last 40 years. And even ones where they got typewritered uh, invoices. I had to show that to my kids to say, that's what I used to do, typewriters and stuff. Um, but it was amazing. Anyway, so um, they've, they've bought this hotel. They've put a dance room on the back and they've, they've got some of the rooms which are serviced accommodation as well. But that meant that she had £290,000 worth of allowances to offset against uh, historic year's profits and future year's profits as well. And that's going to, her net investment in the properties over the years is going to drop by uh, nearly 17%, which is great. So a few, a few things about capital allowances, just in general. First of all, if you own them personally, they're not restricted to property profits. As I mentioned before, you can use this thing called sideways loss relief against other taxable income. <laughs> there you go, Sporty Spice, Annika Rice, there you go. Um, which is brilliant. Um, and you can use them sideways loss relief, that's it. Service accommodation is great. Holiday lets are brilliant for capital allowances, uh, commercial properties, some residential works. And about four or five years ago, the Revenue did some analysis and they themselves said 96% of all property transactions haven't maximised their capital allowances. And it's very rare that we come across a transfer where all the capital allowances have been identified and claimed. So you should kind of look out for this. And between 8 and 150% of what you invest can be claimed as well. 150% of what you invest. That's some sort of capital allowances magic there. I'm glad you pointed that out. We've been talking about plant and machinery allowances, which is the bulk of what most capital allowances are. However, there's two very important things that you should be aware of. There's something called land remediation relief. And it is the single biggest tax relief the government offer. And it's designed to encourage people to clean up contaminated land or buildings. So how many of you have looked at a piece of land that's got Japanese knotweed on it and gone, no thanks very much, I'm walking away from that? Well, perhaps your attitude might change where if you know any money you spend cleaning up that Japanese knotweed, you can get a 150% tax deduction. That's exciting a bit as well, isn't it? And uh, what about asbestos? I'm sure you guys have seen property that's got asbestos in it, more common, then that follows the same legislation. Any money you spend cleaning up asbestos in a contaminated building you can claim land remediation relief and get 150%. And as well as that, there's enhanced capital allowances. I mean, 
as if they're not exciting enough, right? There's an enhanced version of capital allowances. And that's along the same sort of lines. That helps to reduce uh, the world's carbon footprint. So the government incentivizes you to invest in environmentally friendly plant and machinery so you can get tax deduction quicker. Um, so land remediation relief is, as I say, is, there's a few caveats to that, but typically any money you spend dealing with these things, uh, you can claim uh, tax relief on. This was uh, an example you know, a couple of years ago now, back end of 2017. It was um, a petrol station. Now, these are quite popular for building houses on because they're quite a decent site, aren't they? And uh, they've got contamination as well. So this was just outside of Cardiff uh, and it was going for £300,000. They had planning permission for some bungalows uh, and the GDV was just over a million pounds. Now, to deal with all the ground, the hydrocarbons in the ground, they had to spend £72,000 dealing with all that contamination. That meant that they had an additional £108,000 worth of cost to offset against profits when they sold the property. So that meant that they could save roughly about £22,000 in tax by dealing with this contamination, which they had to anyway. So why not get that extra tax relief in and, uh, and save some money? So don't necessarily be put off by a property if it's got some contamination. Now you have that added bit of knowledge, you can actually look at these deals in a slightly different way. Enhanced capital allowances, as I say, is uh, an item, well, it's a tax relief, which is, uh, encourages you to spend money on energy efficient plant and machinery. I'll kind of caveat that by saying, unless you're doing very big projects, you don't necessarily need to deal with enhanced capital allowances, only because the revenue has increased the amount you can claim in capital allowances in one year up to a million pounds. It used to be 200,000 pounds. And if you were uh, having a decent sized project, you'd have your 200,000 pounds worth of allowances. But if you were to invest in, say, a ground source heat pump or air, air source heat pump, for example, that would fall outside of the 200,000 pounds worth of allowances. So you get that as well. Whereas now, because the, uh, the maximum amount is a million pounds in year one, that pretty much covers most projects that we see. So unless you're doing a sort of 10 million pound project plus, um, you wouldn't necessarily need to worry about this. Apart from the fact that it's good for environmentally friendly uh, solutions as well, um, on that as well. So either way, you're still encouraged by this enhanced capital allowances to give things like these uh, high temperature wood pellet burners. This is one of Mark's properties in Peterborough where the, fat, the flats are fed with this uh, unit. Or this is a, um, a heat recirculation system at a swimming pool on the right there. But just again, just being aware that this type of tax relief is available is also uh, very good. So yeah, capital allowances, they're claimed against the, or through the tax, tax return process, self-assessment, either corporation tax if it's owned in a corporation or in your personal tax return. As I said before, you can go back to previous years uh, on there as well, and there's sideways loss relief uh, for those who wish to have it. The process is this, and uh, I'll, I'll sort of explain a little bit more uh, clearly on the previous owner issue. First of all, um, we do a desktop appraisal just to say, if you're buying a million pound property, here's what you can expect to get. The biggest issue that we have is this, uh, the compliance side of things. This is when we need to look at the tax history of the property. Very often, uh, the previous owner of a property may have claimed capital allowances on it. So we need to go back to the previous owners, see who they are, see if they've potentially claimed any allowances, and new rules have come in since 2014, which says that if you're transacting a property, you have to agree that capital allowances figure with the seller within two years. Well, that's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Because you as an investors, you look at that property and you think, I want the capital allowances. 
but I don't want to say to the seller, have you claimed all the capital allowances? Because they're going to go, never heard of capital allowances, but thanks very much. I'll speak to my accountant and I'll make sure that I put the claim in before I sell it to you. That doesn't work in your favour, does it? So there's a few things we can do covertly, if you like, in terms of putting clauses into the contract, uh, which will mean that they have to do, have to agree it with you legally. But if you take anything away from today, just consider the fact that when you're buying a property, it's really important to know who you're buying the property from. And that this, the transfer process in terms of capital allowances has got to be done correctly. Otherwise, nobody can claim any allowances. Off the back of that, certain people are targeting non-taxpayers. So imagine the scenario, if you will, that if you're buying a property, you know the person you're buying from can't claim tax relief. Therefore, they can't claim any capital allowances. And by default, you get them all. That's the best way to be, isn't it? So let's look at who doesn't pay tax. Well, lots of people go after pension funds that are selling properties. They don't pay tax. Uh, people are going after charities that are selling properties. They don't pay tax. One of the biggest sectors is the local authority, the government. They don't pay tax on their properties. They don't pay income tax. So anybody who's got the um, Peterborough City Council, phone them up, see what properties they're selling, because they don't get tax relief. So you, by default, get all of the, all of the capital allowances in the property. So that's really quite a, a good thing to be aware of. I've got a client of mine who, in London who's snapping up fire stations, police stations, all these big units that are great for converting into serviced accommodation or you know, Airbnb units, whatever. And all the capital allowances are available. And uh, it's good fun going down those poles as well. So that's another thing. But just knowing who you're buying the property from can be really useful in terms of maximising your capital allowances. And again, if you're buying a residential property because they don't qualify because they're dwelling houses and you're converting them, you get them by default. And indeed, any property that uh, you buy around the world, you can actually claim capital allowances on. So this is um, a client of mine bought this um, key worker serviced accommodation unit in Dubai a few years ago. It was December and he said, he phoned me up, he said, can you get over there and go and do the survey? I said, for you, because you're one of my best clients, I'm more than happy to fly to Dubai to do the survey. Uh, it's not a problem at all, sir. That'll be great. So I phoned up Alex, one of my other directors, and I'll say, how do you fancy a few days away in the sunshine, you and me, a bit of a boy's trip. Got some work to do, of course, very serious. We'll do that um, and, uh, and do that. He said, brilliant. So I spoke to the, the boss, my wife, and said, look, Alex and I have got this job to do. I'm sorry, we've got to go. You know, you've got to keep the customers happy. And she said, whoa, always fancy Dubai in the, the Christmas time. I said, okay, let's, let's make it a foursome. It'll be good. And then she said, oh, you know, it's Christmas time. I'll miss the kids. Let's bring them along as well. So, <laughs> so what was going to be just me and Alex, it, it was going to be a two family. And we didn't go in the end. I sent one of my other chaps over there. And he said, uh, he said it's amazing, this place. I said, I've still never been to Dubai. I said, tell me about it. He said, it's incredible. I've never seen anything like it before. He said, you go into this property and he said, there's a shift system on the beds. So everyone's got eight hours sleep on their bed. And when they wake up, there's somebody standing there waiting to get into a bed to have their eight hours shift in the same bed. And he said, as if that's not bad enough. So the whole of the ground floor is like a laundry for the shopping mall where these guys all work. So they bring back all this laundry and the air handling units can't handle that high quantity of steamy air. So he said, the whole place stinks of sweaty bodies because they're in the same beds, three, three of at a day. And there's so hot air and uh, everything as well. He said, it was, it was amazing. So in hindsight, 
I'm kind of pleased I didn't get to go. But, you know, at the end of the day, my client still saved nearly £200,000 of his tax bill uh, for this property, but only because he declares the income in the UK. If he didn't declare the income in the UK, he couldn't claim capital allowances on it. But uh, yeah, that's, that's an example. A property anywhere in the world, as long as you declare tax in the UK, you're able to claim it. So what we do is quite complex in terms of um, we need to do a bit of surveying to value the plant and machinery. We need to know about property law, what qualifies, and the tax implications of claiming the capital allowances. All of which uh, is quite a complex sort of fairly niche sort of area. Most people assume that their accountant will deal with their capital allowances. And in some extreme circumstances, if they pick up an invoice for, say, uh, air conditioning, they will know that's plant and machinery and they'll claim capital allowances on it. But for the majority of purposes, they don't get involved at all. So which is where we work alongside people's accountants to do that. So Mark's accountant, for example, we feed in the reports to him and he puts the right numbers in the tax return. So all he has to do is this. He puts them in boxes 32, 34 and 42 of the tax return. But what he doesn't do is the actual calculations to, put, to know what the numbers are. That's, that's what we do. So that's what some people do there. As I mentioned, and again, this is probably the, uh, the biggest thing to take from today. The recent changes to capital allowances is that you have to agree the capital allowances value with the, um, with the seller. Don't go on, think I'll buy this property and I can get the capital allowances later. There are ways to do that, but it's a lot easier to manage it at transaction date rather than to do it retrospectively. If the vendor really doesn't want to enter into agreements with capital allowances, that's fine. There is a tax tribunal process to go through. It's fairly long-winded um, and you don't always get the results that you want. So the best thing to do is, if you're thinking of buying a property, know who the seller is, give me a call and we can talk through it, what the best way to go ahead is on that one. So I'll very briefly talk, because I know time's uh, going on. I talked about this million pounds worth of allowances and all the capital allowances that we attract. When you buy a property, you can claim up to a million pounds worth of capital allowances in year one. Anything over and above that, you get at 18% a year. So if you had £1,100,000 worth of capital allowances in the property, you'd get a million, and then you'd get 18% of the £100,000 in year one, and then that would leave you £82,000 to claim a percentage of in future years uh, on there as well. And that's what they call the annual investment allowance and writing down allowance. And this is a numerical version of how that works, which is you know, not, not on there. So what we typically find is for every £100,000 worth of expenditure in a property, whether it's buying or developing, £11,500 worth of tax is saved. And you factor that into your next deal that you're thinking about or the ones that you've looked in the past, and it can make a massive difference. I'm quite pleased to say that um, the Office for Tax Simplification, they look at all different types of taxes, and they announced back in, in fact, they announced it in October 17, not October 18, that one of the things they were going to look at is capital allowances. Because, you know, let's be honest, it's quite complicated and it could easily be replaced by regular depreciation and everyone's life would be simpler. But the problem is we've had 140 years worth of case law and it's very difficult to unpick all of those things. So the OTS have looked at capital allowances specifically and for six months they said, okay, get everybody's feedback, everybody's input into it. And they've determined that capital allowances will stay, but they need to be more forthcoming on encouraging people to use it. So that just gives you a bit of background. A lot of people think that it'll disappear quite quickly and it's some sort of tax relief that won't be long for very, around for very long. And that just sort of clarifies that. Now, I think you're all still awake. So thank you very much. 
I know Kevin's here with the microphone. If there's any questions, I'm more than happy to do that. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks, Arthur. So, questions. Anyone got questions for Arthur? Barbara. If you're purchasing a residential property, a house, for example, which is obviously classed as residential, do you have to put in planning to convert it to C1 or whatever class you want to do for a commercial property for service accommodation before you can claim the capital allowances? Okay, so um, regarding planning status of a property, it's irrelevant from a capital allowances point of view. The planning status of a property, whether it's residential or whether it's serviced accommodation, doesn't matter. From a capital allowances point of view, you look at the facts of that property, how it's traded, and that's what matters. In fact, we've done claims for properties where there's no planning permission and they shouldn't really be there. But you look at the fact that it's traded as a serviced accommodation, or these were holiday lets actually at the time. The fact is the property's there, they've incurred the expenditure, which is important, and they're trading in a qualifying activity. That's what's relevant. They're the sort of tests that uh, the legislation wants. So it doesn't matter what the planning status is. Thank you. Just your thoughts on how to make the most of the tax relief. So we have a property that we're developing to SA that's owned by a limited company. We then have a separate company that will be the operating company that will obviously take the income. So you'd kind of want the tax relief on that. So how would you... Yeah, so from that point of view, that's quite straightforward. So the property company would invoice the operating company a cost for rental and wouldn't it be great if that was equal to the profits that that operating company made so then the profits are effectively shifted into the uh, holding company where you could utilize the capital allowances to offset the, the profit there effectively off the top of my head that works doesn't it so as long as it's all arm's length and uh, fair fair value that's uh, that's perfectly fine hi Arthur can you just go through the rules on um, if you change the subsequently change the use so if you're operating a SA you claim your capital allowances and then ultimately down the stream you change that back to a yeah so what happens is if you were to for example put that back to normal residential that will cause a point where the property stops being in a qualifying activity so a disposal event effectively so what you should do is then disclose in your accounts any unclaimed capital allowances however because if you're buying that property new, then the majority of the allowances will be available in year one. What sometimes happens is, is that people have a property they've held for a long time, generally their own home, and uh, they decide that they'll move somewhere else, but they'll still keep hold of it, but trade it as serviced accommodation. In those circumstances, you wouldn't be able to claim the annual investment allowance because that's only available on the year when you first buy the property, but you've had it for five years when you've lived in it. So you could only claim the writing down allowance per year, so 18% of the pool each year. So then you might think in five years time, okay, I'm fed up with serviced accommodation. Um, I'm just going to put it back to a regular buy to let. That will cause a disposal event. And so you shouldn't claim any more capital allowances from that period onwards. Just confirm there's no clawback of capital allowances that have been claimed. There isn't, not in that circumstance, no. Bought a commercial property, as in agricultural. Okay. Um, didn't have residential status to begin with and had temporary dwelling on it could you still claim capital allowances yeah there's a few things if you look at agricultural and industrial there was a slightly different tax relief called agricultural buildings allowance and industrial buildings allowance and they were calculated at a set percentage per year so what you'd have to do is go back to if you've had it for a long time go back to see if those ibas or abas were claimed 
And yes, you could still claim the capital allowances on the plant and machinery, albeit there's probably not an awful lot in there, probably a bit of lighting and, uh, and what have you. So potentially you could, you could claim for that as well, right. potentially. I then got residential status yep. and planned to do holiday lets in the North Paddock. Yep. Because I've got residential and then holiday lets on the same title, would I then need to split it to then benefit from the capital allowances on the development of the holiday lets? Yeah, so from a capital allowances point of view, it's quite straightforward. You could easily segregate the cost for developing the holiday let against the residential. So we just look at those holiday let costs and uh, do a claim based on that development works. Title, planning status has no bearing on capital allowances. The only thing you'd look at is what development costs you've incurred. Is it a qualifying activity? Is it a qualifying building? Yes. Irrespective of title or ownership, the ownership, who the person who does own it, is entitled to claim the allowances. When someone has a property and they're part of the same property under the same title, they are doing service accommodation in, yep. and the other part of it, they are doing normal buy-to-let residential type activity. Can you claim uh, the capital allowances on the part that's being used as service combination? And when there is certain plant machinery that is in use in both, what is the situation with that? Yes, yeah, so it's quite straightforward. So you just apportion it based on for, uh, square feet, for example. So if there's one boiler system feeding the whole of the property, then you just apportion it saying, OK, 25% uh, of the property or 25% of the value of the, the boiler system relates to the qualifying activity. So that's what you claim on. So that's, that's quite a common scenario, especially in mixed use properties as well. What's the situation if you buy a leasehold property? Yeah, exactly the same. As long as you pay a lease premium, then it's treated from capital allowances point of view as if you bought the freehold as well. If it's a short lease, effectively a rental, then you won't be able to claim anything. Um, but if you you pay the lease premium, I've just bought a flat in Dudley for £90,000. If I have that as un under a 250-year lease, that's the premium that I paid. If I was to trade that as serviced accommodation, then that would be the basis for the claim there. Fantastic, Arthur. Hopefully you found that useful. Can I get a round of applause for Arthur, please? Thank you. So thanks for listening to that episode of the Service Accommodation Property Podcast and here's to your success in serviced accommodation. Thanks for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. If you have any suggestions on future content for this podcast, please message Kevin via his Facebook page, Property Soldier. 